Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. This morning we are in our second um, second week of our series called How To. And last week we kind of talked about having just a, the overall kind of uh, broad concepts, how to have a difficult conversation. And have we ever had difficult conversations, church? Have we ever avoided difficult conversations because we didn't know how to address them? Yeah, that's the reason why we're spending these four weeks talking about them. Um, this week, we, and you see it from the screen, we're talking about how to engage others with the gospel. Like, how do you do that? Like, is there a magic formula? Is there like, you know, four verses and I'm out and I'm like, I've shared the gospel. What is that? Like, what, what do you do? Is, it, is there like, do I, do I bring a card to, to everybody's door and go through it like I'm selling, you know, you know, popcorn for the Boy Scouts and go through this thing and then knock on the door and they open the door and say no and then you leave dejected? I mean, what is that? What do you do? How do you share the gospel? So today we're specifically going to look at, at the beginning of, uh, the beginning of this talk, we're going to start in Luke 5. And it's just a very short passage in Luke 5. And we're going to look at, at the calling of Levi, which uh, is basically, it is Matthew, uh, the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament. That's kind of his story, how he received Jesus. So at first we're going to look at this passage. Then we're going to, uh, here in a little while, I'm not going to tell you what that passage is because, you know, you'll be all over the place and I want you to pay attention. But we're, we're going to take this passage and we're going to kind of look at, at at this concept and how to have uh, the difficult conversation of leveraging a relationship for the gospel. But we're going to look at that like from a, a stratospheric view. And then at the end of the message, we're going to break the, uh, the, the, the surface of the clouds and we're going to get real personal in the book of Colossians. Is that cool with you? It better be because that's what we're doing. All right. So we are going to be in Luke 5. You see it on the screen. Like I said, this is a very short passage but it is packed full of truth. But there's something that I want all of us to, to understand before we even get into this talk. We need to understand the concept of what a win is for the gospel. A win is a changed life. Say that with me. A win is a changed life. Okay, we mumbled. There's like three of us. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. A win is a That was much better. That was with authority. That's awesome. We can do something with that. That's good. We're, we're going to kind of talk about what a win is for the gospel, not just for the, not just for the person who's receiving the words that Christians would say to a non-Christian, but also what a win is for a Christian as they are sharing that gospel. There's a win on both parts. But a win is a changed life. We got that. Good. Luke 5, verse 27 through 32. Very simple. We're going to draw three truths out of this. Scripture says this, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees... They're always the people in the Gospels. These are the people that just like try to, to get at Jesus. And Jesus always uses the, is the right words to counter what they're saying because what they're saying is nonsense and Jesus knows everything. But verse 30, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. First thing I, I want us to kind of grasp from, uh, from this scripture, jumping back to verse 27 and 28, it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Levi was somebody, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to unpack what a tax collector is. We know that they weren't liked by the people because they got to basically pick the amount that each person would get taxed. So if you look like a high roller, it looks like you could afford more tax. So Matthew was somebody who was pretty much on the outs of society, but he was, he was in as far as the controlling government over the group of people. So Levi, Matthew, as I'll refer to him for the rest of this talk, this is his calling. This is his, Jesus is speaking to him, and he says it very, very clearly, exactly what he wants Matthew to do. And, and, and their conversation is crystal clear. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't say, hey, I want to break down a systematic theology. Let's, get, let's crack the books open, and I want to go through this, and I'm going, to, I'm going to take a very didactic approach, and I want to explain all these things. And once you get all the facts down, then, you, then maybe we can talk about how you can actually receive Christ. Jesus makes it very clear, and he makes it very personal. That's what he does in the life of a Christian. He works in a personal way, and he wants to work through you in a personal way, with your friends, with your family, with your co-workers, and sharing the gospel. Jesus says, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Levi's actions show his inner belief. He is, he is considered wealthy. He leaves everything. Yeah, he didn't have a lot of friends, but he had money. It's funny how a lot of times people have a lot of money, but they don't have a lot of friends. Isn't that funny how that happens? And he is in his tax collecting booth, and he's sitting there, and Jesus just calls out to him, and Levi says, you know what? I have this profitable thing going. I was making a little cash, but I'm putting all of that aside because in my heart I know that I need to follow Jesus. When, when you and I are called into the Christian life, the only thing he asks us to bring is our baggage. And he says, you know what, bring that baggage, and then one by one, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to help you to cut that baggage, and so you would be relinquished from it. He says, bring it all. You're broken? He says, this is the place of mending. Yeah, he could have gone through, and he could have scolded Matthew and said, hey, do you realize what you've been doing? Do you realize how you've offended people? Do you realize how the very people, the, the very disciples that, I've been, you know, that, that I'm trying to build in this, this movement of people around, that you've been hurting them and scolding them and, and wrongly abusing them, but he didn't, did he? What does Jesus say? He says, come, follow me. Levi got up, he left everything, and followed Jesus. For you and I this morning, the, the first truth that I, I would hope that we would be able to gain from uh, specifically verse 27 and 28 is this idea, we need to define a win. What is a win for the gospel? What is a win for the gospel? You should know the answer to this. A changed life. A win for the gospel, to define a win. Like, what, what does that mean? Jesus makes it very, very clear I want to help kind of uh, get into this point with a proverb. It'll be on the screen. Proverbs 19, 23. This is from the New Living Translation. 
It says, fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. What's interesting about this is there are, these are elements of wins in the life of a Christian. These are elements of, of a win in the life of a Christian. It's this idea of the fear of the Lord leads to life. A fear of the Lord, and not, not just a fear like, God, I'm so afraid of you. I know you're so much bigger than me, and I know I'm just a poor sinner. It's this awe and respect and saying, God, I know that, that you are all-powerful, and I know that I'm not. And I know that the only way that I can live the life that you want me to is if I tap into the Holy Spirit power that works through every follower of Jesus Christ. So this idea of the, the fear of the Lord, it leads to life. It's not just talking about eternal life, although that's part of it, but also 1 Timothy 4.8 kind of lends uh, into this idea. And 1 Timothy 4.8 says this, Hold, it's holding to the promise of this life and the life to come. So it's holding to the promises in this life, Christian, that we hold to the promises of this life. That, yeah, that Jesus, has, he loves us and he keeps us and he's never going to turn his back on us. If he's accepted you, or rather, if you've accepted him, into your life and into your heart, then we have this, this promise that, that uh, is talked about in First Timothy, that we hold to the promise of this life, that we can get through this life, that we're not just to be beaten down Christians, that we're not supposed to just be broken Christians, we're supposed to be built up Christians, that we're supposed to be redeemed Christians. That means we have a story to tell. That means when you live your life, you define a win by the way that you live your life. You define a win by the way that you conversate with your family members, the way that you conversate with that person who's isolated at work and it seems like they have no other friends. You can define a win by the changed life that Christ is living in you. That'd be a good place for an amen. See, we, de- we can define a win. And the scripture helps us and makes it very, very clear. In, in Proverbs 19.23, this, this respect and awe of the Lord leads to life. Not just the security of, of this life, but also the hope of the life to come, which is the, is the life that I'm waiting on. What about you, church? But keeping going through this proverb, and it says it's bringing security and protection from harm. Security. This is what Jesus said in John 6, 37. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. What does that mean about your salvation this morning, church? It's secure. That's a good word. It says it's, this, this fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. That means that you and I, when we use our shield of faith, that we can hold up that shield of faith that the Scripture talks about, and we can say, you know what? Yeah, there's a wicked world around me. I know that I've got a story to tell. I need to define a life, define a win, rather, by my life, by my actions, by my words, by my deeds. I define a win for the people that are around me. Either I'm alive in Christ and He's alive in me, or I am just dead to the Spirit. It's one or the other. We define a win to the world around us by what we do, by what we say. And Jesus gives us a promise along the way, this promise of security. And he says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Yeah, you got baggage. Yep, that's okay. Yeah, you, you, you've sinned this week. And yet you realize that you've sinned and you're broken. You go back to the Lord, and confession, repentance, and he says, you know what? You're made new. It's just like that. He says, once I have you in the palm of my hand, 
I'm not going to let you go. I know there are people who struggle with this idea of, of not just eternal security, but like, what does it mean in, in the life of a Christian? They, they think that defining a win for a Christian is, is a star in the church attendance sheet. They think a, a win for a Christian is, well, I'm in Bible study. Well, I'm in small group. Well, well, I attend three out of four Sundays. Well, yeah, I come at Easter and Christmas, and isn't that enough? But you know what? A win for a Christian is what, church? It changed life. It's not just conveying the gospel through you. It's living the changed life yourself. I'll kind of tell you a, a story it, from a book that I read recently. It's a book called Blind Courage. It's about a, a blind gentleman who walked the Appalachian Trail all 2,000, over 2,100 uh, miles of the Appalachian Trail, all the way from Springer Mountain, Georgia, to Mount Katahdin in Maine. And he did so blind with the help of a seeing eye dog. As he was, uh, as Bill Irwin was, was kind of on this trek, and he, I don't remember what state he was in, and it, it's, a, it's a wonderful book about perseverance because obviously he's blind, and it isn't like, the, you know, I've been on the Appalachian Trail, it isn't like it's paved like our sidewalks, you know. So it's like all over the place, climbing mountains over rocks and stumps and roots and oh my, whatever, everything, you know. So he's, he's telling this story, and he says that he's, he's in, he's in this, this dense forest, and although he had been told not to by the, the people who he got his seeing, his seeing eye dog from, his dog's name was Orient, he's in the forest, and he's having this amazing experience, so his best friend is his dog Orient, and what he decides to do, although he's told not to, is he lets his dog go while he's in the forest. It's on the trail in the middle of nowhere. He just lets the dog go and he thinks, I'm experiencing such freedom on the trail right now that I only think that it's right that I allow Orient to experience some of this freedom as well. But the problem with that idea is the company that he had gotten the seeing eye dog from warned him those dogs specifically are molded, trained, and shaped to be held captive to their owner and not to be let go. Because if you let them go and they taste freedom, they may never return. Aren't you glad that isn't what Christ does to us? He doesn't just have us on a leash and, you know, we get out of line and we get away and he jerks us back and, you know, the whole nine yards. He doesn't do that. And instead, what Christ says to us is, we're not bound to the law that we live by grace and we live by faith, as the word says. And he says, and, and yeah, you're not, you're not bound to some little chain and you have to, this list of do's and don'ts and all of these things. He says, I want to define a win for you. It's like, you're, you're not just, you're not just, just tethered here. You, you live your life and you have freedom in that. But he says, and this is what the Lord says, all I want you to do is being be in listening distance from me. He's like, don't get so far away from me that you can't hear me when I speak. There's power in that. There's a poem I want to share. John Bunyan, no relation to Paul, didn't have an ox named Babe or anything. But John Bunyan, in the 1600s, he wrote this, this poem. It says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Speaks into what I just said. 
that we're not bound to a list of do's and don'ts and the law and you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to dress this way and you have to do this and, and, and all these things. He says, you know what? The gospel that, that we live out through God's grace, it gives us wings to fly. And all the Lord does, he says, don't get so far away that you can't hear my voice. Don't get so far away that you can't hear my voice because I'm doing a work in you. Verse 29 says this. After Levi responds, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him, or with them, rather. So immediately, right after, Levi has this this experience with Jesus. What does he want to do? He wants to celebrate that win. He wants to celebrate the win, and he's like, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite all of my tax collector buddies and all the other people who are social outcasts, and I want to invite them to the party too. But I'm I'm not just going to invite them to the party and come celebrate it. I'm also going to invite some of the Jesus people into that mix too. So now i got these filthy sinners, and now I've got these Jesus people, and I'm going to have them all together, and we're going to have a party, and we're going to celebrate a win. When's the last time you've celebrated the change that Christ is making in your life? I bet if we were to sit down over a cup of coffee, I bet you could not tell me the last time that you actually sat back and praised God for the difference He's making in your life. Because you know what? He's making a difference in your life. He's making a difference. We need to celebrate these wins. You know, we kind of do this naturally. We just came off the season of the Olympics. Who watched the Olympics? Anyone watch the Olympics? A few of us. We, we just come off the Olympics, and you know what? Everybody was talking about the Olympics. Now we're coming into the political season, and most of us don't want to talk about politics, but yet we end up talking about politics because it's coming quick, right? And we talk about one of the things that's interesting about not just Christians, but also non-Christians, we talk about the things that we're passionate about. We talk about the things that we're excited about. We celebrate the things that we think matter most. College football is coming. We're going to have some clashes in here when Georgia wins and Georgia Tech loses, which is probably going to happen a lot. (laughs) I'm an equal opportunist. Next week, I'm going to flip it around. You see, but, but we talk about and we're passionate about the things that matter most to us. When's the last time that not only have you thanked the Lord for the difference He's making in your life, but when's the last time you've actually told somebody about the difference that Christ has made in your life? When's the last time? Because the very win, after we've defined a win, and a win is what, church? A changed life. But now we live our life secure in Christ, and now we can celebrate those wins. We don't need to be beating down Christians and, well, I just got my Bible. I'm just going to church today. That's just what I do. Instead, we should live our life in the joy of the Lord with a smile on our face, get up in the morning, thankful that we can put feet on the floor and we can go forward and we can bring that good news of Jesus to somebody else. And we can celebrate those wins and be excited about things because you know what? Christians have something to be excited about. And it's not just the Olympics. It's not just politics. And it's not something so petty as college football. It's the difference that he's making in our lives. Another thing, I'm going to pick on the ladies for a minute. 
Is it okay, guys? Great. You're next. I'm just to prove it to you, you, you talk about the things that you're excited about and that you're passionate about. Do you remember when you got your engagement ring? How many people did you show that engagement ring to? How many people? I see smirks and smiles. You showed a lot of people, didn't you? Because you were sporting that ring and you wanted everybody to see, uh-huh, hey, ah, uh, did you see something? And you want to show that ring off. You're excited about it. You wanted other people to be excited about it. You, you, were, you were passionate about it. You were excited about it. So you had the ring, and that means that you were going to get married, and you wanted everybody to know what you were excited about. Isn't that what you did? And you wanted everybody to be excited like you're excited. And you wanted them to celebrate like you celebrate. Okay, guys, you're next. Um, if you've ever bought a, a new vehicle, say a new truck, new something, other than a minivan, nothing to brag about with buying a new minivan. But if you've, if you've bought a new vehicle, remember when you first bought that vehicle and you bought it and you, and, and, and you went up and you're like, uh, you know, you would go somewhere with your friends and you're like, no, I'll drive, I'll drive. Gas mileage didn't care. You, you know, it didn't even matter. You didn't care at all about gas mileage. V8, V6, whatever it was, you didn't even care. You knew every speck and detail about it. You knew the type of leather in the car. You knew about the navigation system. You already worked ahead of time. And you probably, when you probably could have been doing something more productive, you went into your vehicle and you're working on your navigation system to make sure you knew how to use it because you're not going to invite your friends into a vehicle when you don't know how to use it. Then you'd, you know, look kind of foolish. But all of a sudden, you get this new thing, and what do you want to do? You want to celebrate it. You want everybody to be excited about it, and you're not afraid to talk about it. And you know the specs, you know the details, you know all these things. And when you first have it, you invite everybody to come right in it. But then after the excitement wears off, and after you put some dollars in the tank, then all of a sudden, when you go out with your buddies, then you're like, nah, I don't, I don't want to drive now. Why? Because the newness had wore off. And all of a sudden, you weren't as excited as you were before. Interesting, isn't it? We naturally celebrate the things that we're interested in. I believe that many Christians have forgotten what a win is. That many Christians, they have literally forgotten what a win is. And, and we, don't even, we don't even celebrate the work of Christ anymore. We don't even celebrate the work of Christ in churches and in individuals. When somebody gets saved, they're like, oh, that's awesome but yet they don't really mean it. They just say, yeah, that's awesome because somebody got saved and that's all, you know, that's all the enthusiasm they can have. I think when somebody gets saved in this church or any other church or a coworker who ends up going to another church, whatever the case may be, we need to celebrate on a Sunday morning when we come together like we celebrate touchdowns in the end zone. We need to celebrate that and say, somebody got saved this week. Praise Jesus, somebody got saved this week. Somebody's eternity has been shaped this week. Because you know what? In college football, pro, I'm not even a college football fan. That's why I pick on you all the time. I like pro football. But the thing is, in, whether it's, it's college or pro football, there's going to be a touchdown next week. And you know what everybody's going to do? Woo! And it's going to be over. Then the quarterback's going to throw an interception, and you're going to be like, why didn't they get rid of that guy? It's always going to change. But yet Christians... We sit back, we don't celebrate the wins. 
Maybe because we, no one's actually helped you to define a win. And you think, well, I received Jesus when I was 16 and at this camp or when I was 9 and, and it was in a Sunday school class and I remember the environment and, they, and they, they've forgotten how good grace really is. They've forgotten how good that really is. One of the, one of the effects that I see, and I'm not picking on any individual. This is something I've observed from being... In, in church work for years, in servant ministry for years before that. But one thing that I see is the longer somebody is a follower of Christ, the more distance they create between themselves and non-believers. The longer somebody walks with Christ, and I realize this kind of happens naturally, like because Christians get encouragement from other Christians. Anybody have any negative in the workplace? Yeah, I do too. No, I'm just kidding, I don't. I don't. But, you know, there's negative people in our workplace, and we for sure are not going to go hang out with these people all the time. I realize that as Christians, we want to hang out and get encouragement from other Christians. But one thing that we cannot forsake is the need to share the gospel with the people who are on the outs of Christ right now. People who are on the outside, who are on the outside looking in to say, oh, what's, different, what's different about your life and my life? Well, they should be able to have that question answered very clearly, and the answer should be Jesus. And yet, we've created this distance. And as a matter of fact, I've seen this. I've seen Christians look at non-Christians and they start to demonize non-Christians. And they start to, to fear non-Christians. Well, I'm just going to get distance away from I don't even want my kids to hang out with them. I don't even, oh, I can't even believe they said that. I can't believe they do that. If they don't know Jesus, what else do you think they're going to do? Maybe the distance between you and the unbelievers around you needs to be shortened just a little bit. Maybe you need to celebrate a win in such a way that that even non-believers can see it and see the difference that Christ is making in you. Who did Jesus invite to the party? Back to our scripture. Who did Jesus invite to the party? That's right. Tax collectors and sinners. So he was intentional, that, that Matthew was intentional, and he says, yeah, I'm going to have all these Jesus people come in, and I'm going to have all these tax collectors and sinners come in, and I'm going to put them in the same room because I have my new Christian friends, and not my new Jesus friends, and I've got my, my old tax collecting sinning buddies, and he says, I want to put them in the same room because I want them to celebrate the difference that Christ is making in me today, and I want to not only celebrate it just with other Christians, I want to invite them non-Christians into it because I want them to have the same thing I have. Verse 30 and 32. Luke 5. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the wealthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What he's doing here is he's clarifying the win. He's clarifying the win for us. So not only has, has the, a win been defined, he showed us, each of us, how to celebrate the win, and now he's clarifying the win. Jesus answered them. He says, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. 
And he's in essence saying, you know what? I'm inviting broken people in to hear the gospel story. The, the religious leaders of that day, they, they were, were so far removed away from Jesus and they didn't like what Jesus was doing. It'd be the very same people who crucified Jesus. And they, he stood in opposition to them because they were teaching that the law governed everything, that there was a list of do's and don'ts, and yet they were the gatekeepers to the rules. So Jesus came in, wiped away the rules, and they didn't like it. And he clarifies a win. I watched a lot of the Olympics, and I, I remember two specific things. And, and it struck me, these two people, they were interviewed after their race. The first, uh, first young lady that was interviewed, she didn't, I, I don't believe she made the final. It was in the track and field. She didn't make the final, which means that it was all the preliminaries, and then she was out. But I remember her being interviewed, and yet she was predicted as she was going to be a medalist. And they interviewed her, and she had a big smile on her face, and she said these words, and these words did not sit right with me. She said, you know what? I am happy just to be here. I'm happy just to be here. Many times I think Christians are happy just to be here, and that they settle. They're like her. I mean, she's an Olympian. She had worked all of her life to do this. And yet she, and maybe I'm a little too competitive, but maybe I just believe God for a little bit more. And yet she says, I'm just happy just to be here. If I would have worked my whole life to, to achieve something, and then I wouldn't even make the final, I would be a little bit upset by the result. And it would inspire me to say, you know what? I'm coming back in four years, and I'm going to be a medalist, and I'm, I'm going I'm to be on that podium. But she says the words, you know what, I'm happy just to be here. And yet there was another young lady, her name was Lashinda Davis. She ran the 400 meter hurdles. And it was amazing. She was predicted to be the gold medalist. She's a phenomenal runner. And she's sitting there after, after the race. You know, all of the, the commentators said, that, you know, well, we're, we're destined to get the gold in this one. We're going to get the gold in this one. We're going to get the gold in this one. Guess what? We didn't get the gold in that one. And she's interviewed. She ends up getting the silver medal. And she's interviewed. She has a smile on her face. And they said, you know, well, what do you think of your Olympic performance? And she said, you know what? Don't get me wrong. I'm happy to have received uh, the silver medal and to represent my country. But she said, I'm not going to settle for anything less than gold in Rio, which is where the next Olympics are held. What if we as a church said, you know what? I'm not going to settle for silver. I want gold. I want God's best for me. We've defined a win. And a win is what, church? A changed life. We, we've, we've talked about how we can celebrate wins. And now we're, we're clarifying the win and saying, you know what? To clarify a win means that you and I would truly live changed lives. And that we would not settle for second best. See, I love the fire when Lashinda Davis said that. I mean, it revved me up. I, I was so amped up, and, you know, I, I, I get, like, sermon illustrations from everywhere. So I had my phone, and it was just, you know, I'm, I'm putting it all in there. I'm thinking, I don't know when this is going to happen, but this is like sermon gold. You know, this is like, it can be used. Had no idea it was going to be used today. But as I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to this, I'm just like, that lit a fire in me to think, you know what? Many Christians are settling for silver when God promises gold. 
But yet we think, wow, hey, I made it. And God said, you know what? But if you would have took that extra step of obedience, you'd be on the top podium receiving gold. Hearing something like, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I promise you we get there, and we're going to now. Colossians 4. We've talked about these three ideas, and we've, this has been the, uh, the, the stratospheric view, and now we're going to break the, uh, the cloud cover, and we're going to get personal. And I, I want to help you, as I've been kind of processing these things from, or from Colossians 4, and I've been processing these things this week, and I hope that there's, there's a sticky factor to the Scripture this is Paul's last words to the church in Colossae, some of his last words, and, and this is what he tells the church. Colossians 4, verse 2. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message. And that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul tells you and he tells me. The way to have a difficult conversation of engaging other people with the gospel is kind of guided with these principles. Verse 2. Paul wrote, devote yourselves to prayer. Simple question. When is the last time that you have actually prayed about opportunities to share the gospel? When is the last time that you have actually prayed about Maybe God revealing to you who the lost people are that are around you. Kind of starts with prayer, doesn't it? When's the last time you've done that? Paul commends us, and he affirms this idea. He says, be in prayer about these opportunities. Don't let any opportunities pass you by. Be in prayer about these opportunities. If you trust God that he will, that he will give you an audience to share the gospel with, he says, ask for it in prayer. He'll provide the people. He'll provide the audience if you're willing to share the gospel. If you're willing to celebrate a win, he says, I'm going to meet you there. Be in prayer about that. Still in verse 2, Paul says, not only do we devote ourselves to prayer, he says, being watchful and thankful. Be on watch. If we can trust God and we ask God in prayer, say, God, please reveal broken lost people around me so that I can tell them the difference that Christ is making in my life. I believe that if we are watchful, as Paul expresses here, if, if, if we're watchful, that we can trust God and He will provide an audience for us to tell the great news too. And he tells us, be in prayer about that. Trust God for that. Ask God. And you may, you may if you're like me, you've probably gone through years and you said, you know what? All I know is Christian friends. Maybe this is a great opportunity for you to kind of, you know, take the scales off your eyes a little bit. Pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you some broken people around you. They exist. 
then I would ask you to be watchful. Because if you pray, then God will deliver. If, you're, if you pray with the pure and sincere heart, I believe that God is, is true to his promises and he'll provide for you a person. Be watchful for the opportunity. Be watchful for the person. Going down to verse 5. It says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Be wise toward outsiders. Don't go into a, in, into a conversation with somebody who doesn't, who, who, who has not received Jesus Christ, don't go into that conversation as if the person's saved. Don't go into it with a bunch of Christian jargon. Hey, brother, hey, sister, how are you? You know what? The only person I call brother or sister are my brothers and sisters outside of Christians. Is that, the true? Is that true for you? But we need to be wise toward outsiders to say, maybe we need to check even the words that we say so we don't go with, you know, a big systematic theological discussion and debate into a conversation. Just celebrate a win with them. Tell them the difference that Christ is making in your life. They have no rebuttal to the difference that, Christ, that, that Christian, Christians experience when God comes into their life. They have no rebuttal. They'll just sit and listen. What could they possibly say? Be wise toward outsiders. Be wise. It it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 10, Jesus says that actually we will have opposition in these ideas. That we will have direct opposition. But we need to be wise toward outsiders. There will be opposition. In in Matthew 10, it breaks it down. It says there's, there's opposition on three different levels. Opposition is such as this. For one, the religious leaders, the people who are overly self-righteous and religious people, they will be offended if you are wise toward outsiders. If, you're, if, if you just invite people in and you celebrate a win and you have like a Matthew party into your house where you bring, intentionally, you bring some lost people in and you bring some saved people in and you have a mixer at your house, overly religious people will be offended by that. And Jesus says, that's okay. You're in good company. So religious leaders will stand in opposition to you. Politicians will stand in opposition to you. You know, the thing that's interesting about, about not just politicians, but also like government officials and the government, they will be in opposition to you. Aren't they already? Who has not felt the sting of, of these two words, political correctness? Who has not, whether through radio or TV, and they say these words, and and it just sends a a chill down your spine, and you think about these two words, political correctness, and and yet they don't want to offend anyone, but all they do is offend Christians. Am I the only one who gets offended by those words? As a matter of fact, the words political correctness has actually offended itself, and it doesn't even want to be called political correctness anymore. Now it just wants to be referred to as PC, which is interesting because then that further offends me because I'm known as PC. So I don't know what to do with that. I'm working through, through that. I've got issues. I'm sorry. But Paul commends us, be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders. Be wise. Jesus said for us to be as cunning as serpents, but innocent as doves. This is what he's talking about. That we need to be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders. Continuing on, verse 5, it says, Make the most of every opportunity. Don't squander an opportunity. 
There are moments in my life when I know that I specifically was supposed to do something for the Lord and I did not do it and I remember it. Do you know why? Because I missed an opportunity. Because I I may have taken the silver, but God was promising gold. And I didn't make the most of an opportunity. And I believe, I believe in my heart of hearts in those moments when God was challenging me to do something that I have not only failed myself, but I have failed Him. And I've settled for something less than gold. So make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Be full of grace. It, it really hurts me to say this. But some of the people who who give the least amount of grace are the ones who've received the most. And that bothers me. But we're we're commended to let our conversation be always full of grace. Never stray too far away from the cross. When you have conversations, talk about and celebrate the wins that Christ is making in your life. then he uses these words that are being seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever had somebody pull the, uh, the, the trick on you to where they loosen the salt shaker and then you tip it over? Is, is the food edible when that happens? When, when a Christian engages a non-Christian and we go through and we just like, we just dump a lot of stuff out there and we're just like shooting verses and and although I'm saying our intent may be right but we're doing all these things what we're doing is we're killing them with salt and what Paul commends us to do he says just sprinkle your conversation with salt just sprinkle it basically the salt just with salt is kind of used as one of those things to represent the gospel Just, just sprinkle your conversation with salt salt enhances flavor they say, I just like salt, but I don't know what that means, but it enhances flavor and also helps preserve. Isn't that a pretty clear picture of, uh, of when we go into a conversation about the gospel? If we just have a little bit of salt, it enhances the cross, it enhances the gospel, the grace of God. And yet, we don't just try and kill them with too much. I don't know about you, church, but I've got some work to do. Anybody else in that boat this morning? But I am very confident of the work that that Christ is doing in the life of the people who sit before me today. I'm very confident. With the church our size, one one of the biggest blessings as a pastor is to be able to be personally involved in your lives. And I, I would love for you to be taking these things to heart because I want your friend to be sitting next to you next week. Or maybe you, maybe you just need to get into the mode of just praying about who that would be and maybe it's in three months. But I believe if we follow these principles that we're in prayer, we're watchful, that we're wise, that we're intentional, that we're grace-filled, sprinkle our conversation with a little bit of salt, God will fill a seat next to you with one of your friends. Maybe with a bank teller. Maybe with somebody at a restaurant. Maybe it's not a friend of yours. Maybe it's somebody who's dejected at work and nobody else talks to. 
but yet they would be primed for the gospel. I'm going to end this morning with a story. I heard a, a story of two individuals. They were in boot camp, World War II time frame. And they were in boot camp, and Joe, and, and I, I have made it through boot camp, survived it, scars, but I survived it. So I, I have an image of this in my head. But um, the way it was explained is their, their, their beds, their racks were on each side of the room. And Joe's on one side kind of taking care of some things. And Sam's on the other side. And, and Sam hears awesome words that you want to hear when, when you're in military service, mail call. And Sam receives uh, this package and as he's opening up this package, if you've been through a boot camp or military experience, you know that every package is, is not a personal package. It's pretty much a corporate package. Everybody gets to share treats. It's just the way it works. But as Sam is opening up this box and he looks in and, and it's, it's something from his wife and he's at boot camp and he's away from home. He's enduring hardship and a bunch of his buddies come around and he cracks open the box and he smells some chocolate chip cookies. And as he's, he's taking them out and the guys are, are kind of pilfering through his stuff and eating some cookies, some crumbs, it all tastes good. And as he's kind of going through, he notices across the way that Joe is sitting by his rack, kind of dejected away from everybody else. And Sam takes the box. Everybody else is there in the wanting of these, these cookies. But he takes the box and he goes over and he says, I want you to have one of these cookies. He was alone. Everybody else was enjoying it. He pulled away from them so Joe could eat some of those cookies. And you know what happened? This is a true story. That started a 50-year friendship. All because Sam walked 10 feet between bunks to go share one chocolate chip cookie. The difference that Christ is making in your life can be told if you just walk 10 feet. Maybe it's 15 feet. Maybe it's a phone call. But you've got a story to tell. You've got a celebration to be had. Use these principles and let's see what God can do. Thank you.